second cradle of liberty. Look at you, you're a freak! What are we alive for except to grab all the kicks we can? To contaminate our society. Now being renovated. Mr. Dowd. Podcasting live from the recent past and the Dogwater Studios in beautiful Reno, Nevada, this is your host, Dogwater Dick. And tonight, we have something a little bit different for you. Rory and I got a chance to interview one of my lifetime heroes. So listen, enjoy, and witness as I desperately try to keep it in my pants for our interview with John Waters. On the worst little podcast, we're talking out of our ass. Hello. Hi, John. Yes. Hi, this is Rory with the worst little podcast in the world. Right. That's a funny name from the best little city in the world. So. <laughs> uh, well, I'm also joined here by my co-host, uh, Rick, and uh, also Kim and Nick. They're in the background being quiet. And our Hi. other hosts of the show, Ian and Chewy and Mouse, all say hi. And we're all really big fans of yours. So it's a real pleasure to have you here on the show. Thank you. Wow, you got a lot of hosts there. Yeah. Well, we have we have a lot of a huge cast of characters, so others of us can call out sick whenever we feel like it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, we did want to extend to you uh, a belated happy birthday. I know you just celebrated another one, and I gotta say, twenty nine looks great on you again. Thank you. Well, it was funny because I did two shows for my birthday. One was in Atlantic City. And I was in Vegas the week before, and I'm coming to Reno. So, wow, I feel like Shecky Green on quarantine. Bang, bang, bang. Coming right and out. of course, you know, I hitchhiked through Reno, Reno and got stuck there, and I wrote about that in my book, Car Sick. So that was Was my... that the last time you were in Reno? Nope. I, went, I came back when I drove across country with a friend, and we went to Reno, and we had dinner with the guy that owned the restaurant that picked me up hitchhiking. And uh, it was so great to be there knowing that I had a car to get in and out of. John, I this is Rick. I'm the other one of the other hosts. It was amazing reading that book, and the whole time as I was getting through the book Carsick, I loved all the music that you mentioned and the in the beginning. And I made this wonderful playlist. And honestly, every time I play the playlist on my phone, it makes me feel just a little bit Carsick. Oh, good. I know some of those songs are tough to listen to. They might be funny to know there's such a thing, but to have to hear them over and over is a real torture. It's so great, and it's just like the music in all your movies. And um, but as I was listening to you, reading about you going across the country, at one point I realized, oh my God, he's going to go through my city, and I was so terrified that something horrible would happen in Reno. Well, it didn't. It, nothing terrible happened. I mean, I, I got a ride. I stayed in a. Because I was with the Corvette kid. That's right. I was with him, the one that came back and picked me up, who I recently went to his wedding, by the way. We stayed in touch. Oh, that's awesome. But um, we stayed in a hotel that smelled so... Look, I'm an ex-smoker, so I never smelled more cigarettes in my entire life in this place. <laughs> but we had fun, except with gambling. I always want to lose, you know, I, I because it takes so long. If you win some, it just prolongs the agony. But I did have fun there, and I, I went through it... One other time in my life when I first drove to San Francisco in my life, like in the 60s, and I remember being kind of amazed by it. 
and hitchhiking out. Luckily, the Quebec kid dropped me off in Truckee, and that's not that far away, right? Right, right. Just 45 minutes up the road. It, I didn't even think I was that far. I think I got another ride to Truckee from from right outside of Reno. God. But um, it was, <laughs> and Truckee was like beautiful and chilly, and it seemed very kind of fancy or something. I just like the name of it. A lot of rich hippies with bad feet live there. Yeah, it's a lot of hippies, yeah, yeah. Well, there are, I'm, I'm curious, you know, when I was in Atlantic City, and the question and answers I asked the audience, I said, so, is there a hip casino? A hip casino? And they all yelled, no. I said, is there a hip neighborhood? They all yelled, no. So I'm going to ask, is there a hip casino in Reno? No, no. No. And is there a hip neighborhood? Oh, yeah. We have tons of great places to go. I mean, the whole Midtown I area. I said, is there a hip neighborhood? Is there like... Midtown. Yeah, Midtown, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's our gentrified area. So I know I went to a good restaurant and I could see that I could see that it was being revitalized. But did it work? So far, but the rents have gone through the ceiling. The property values are ridiculous. But you can't, you have a house in San Francisco. You know what that's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's different than Reno. I mean, it used to be. <laughs> Very different. Oh, yeah. Our, our housing prices have caught up to the Bay. Now, San Francisco... Because of COVID, but I've been in San Francisco is like Baltimore now. It's re- it's really crazy, like scary. It's like Martinville, you know. <laughs> uh, and I know Bud the Chud is not real politically correct, but there is a lot of Chud attacking you. That's cannibalistic human underground dwellers. But you have them in Reno. Believe me, when I was in some of the casinos, the homeless were in the casinos. Oh, yeah. That's one of the best places for them to go. You can take a dollar and, and spend it on penny slots and stay the whole night and, st- and keep warm. Well, if you, if you win, if you lose, you can't just stand there. They're not going to come around giving you free cocktails. Do they still do that? And penny slots, they don't give you free cocktails. Got, and we're locals, so I only go to the casino when my California family visit. Yeah. They, they do still serve drinks at the penny slots, but they ignore you. More than everybody else. (laughs) John, we're so excited for you to be here. In 1989, when I was 17 years old and homeless and doing a lot of drugs and and I just dropped out of school, somebody dosed me on a lot of acid and showed me desperate living and female trouble back to back. Oh, God. And at that time, I didn't fit into life very well anywhere I went. But then there were these movies that didn't fit in so much worse than I didn't fit in. (laughs) And it made me feel better about myself. You really have been a huge part of my life. Well, especially desperate living. You were living a you were living a desperate living, right? <laughs> right. It wasn't quite that bad, thank God. Well, desperate living was where I stole that name. There was a lesbian newsletter in Baltimore, but it was called Desperate Living. I thought, why would you call if you're trying to be pro-gay? Why would you call it Desperate Living? I thought it was the weirdest title for a militant. Uh, a militant gay uh, activist kind of community. <laughs> I don't understand my lesbian friends often. Oh, I'm a lesbo. I love women who hate men, and I hate men who hate women. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. God, we have so many things to talk about. I heard that you have a new novel coming out. I do. It comes out next Monday or next week. So <sighs> I'm going on a book tour to eight cities, too. So I'm excited. It's a really insane novel about a woman with still suitcases in airports, and it's really dirty and crazy and, I hope, funny. So we'll see. It's, we'll, I have no idea how this one will be received. I've already pre-ordered it, so it's on its way. Good. Thank you. It took me three years to write, so I don't, feel, I don't feel bad even when friends have to buy it. It took me three years. God. I'm just about done with Mr. Know-It-All. I know I'm behind. The chapter where you dropped acid again at 70, <laughs> it just made me feel good about myself. 
Well, it was, I, you know, my, my mother always says, don't tell young people to take drugs. I'm telling old people to take them, not young, because you just do these pussy, like, uh, kind of micro dots and shit, you know. But <laughs> the time we took, I, you know, I hadn't done it in 50 years. And um, I used to do it with Mink 50 years ago. Mink Stoll has been in all my moves, one of my oldest friends. We love her so much. We did it again. Oh. And it was great. I don't have to ever do it again. It was just like I don't have to hitchhike across America again either. But um, it was it was really um, exciting and it felt great. And I was in a very comfortable place in my apartment in Provincetown. But I must admit, it was bare week. We didn't go outside. <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of Bear Week, and Bear Week is really extreme in Provincetown. Oh, God. I've been sober for 16 years, and I plan on staying sober the rest of my life. I had to quit everything, but I miss LSD. I miss it. Well, I mean, I'm, if you did it then, it's, you know, you've already gotten the, you've gotten the good things out of it. I don't know really. Well, yes, I do know people that were addicted to acid though in prison. Really, it's kind of hard to, be a, to do acid every day, although I read this great book called The Man Who Hated Never forget that it's about Nixon and Leary, and it's about Leary's life on the run. And he did acid every day until he became an alcoholic, which was an odd change. I, I thought they used to treat alcoholism with LSD, so he did it reverse. Right, well, it sounds like the LSD was the gateway drug to alcoholism. To alcoholism, I guess he, I know. So I'm, I'm glad you're sober. I believe in it. It's the one cult that works. I quit cigarettes, the hardest thing. and like, The only thing I can come close to and I write it down every day. I haven't had one in 7,056 days, so I want whatever chip that is. <laughs> God, it has been one of my greatest joys throughout my life, showing your early work to new friends. Like getting a new friend in the room, telling them that I'm going to show them something really awful, and then playing the movie and apologizing through the whole thing while I giggle. Well, it's a litmus test. It's a good first date, too. Uh, you can tell right away. And Pink Flamingos is coming out again because Criterion is releasing it and they've restored it and everything. I saw that! I'm so excited! It's great. So I can't even imagine Pink Flamingos on a first date. Believe me. You're either going to... I've met people that got married from Pink Flamingos being their first date. Many couples have told me that. Oh. But also, it could be like if you ever saw taxi driver when he takes Sybil Shepard to a porn movie. It could be like that <laughs> on the first date. Like, maybe not the best idea. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, and the other Criterion versions have been wonderful. The extra interview, and it looks so much cleaner and brighter. Where do you see with Pink Flamingos? We go back in the houses where the people live that were, that don't know it and tell them about the movie. It's, it's pretty funny. Oh, my God. You said once that somebody said that there's probably spirits coming up from the ground of where that trailer used to be. Right. Yeah, well, that, we go to the house, and he has a metal detector where he tries to find the trailer if it's buried in his yard. Oh, my God, that's so <laughs> awesome. Wow, I cannot wait. Because we never took the trailer away. We just left the burnt thing there, and the woods grew up around it for 20, 25 years, and then they built new houses there. And uh, <sighs> the man that lives there, we well, you'll see, we, we found him, and we, we had to tell him about his property. I can't believe it. That is so exciting. Oh, and I've been I've been going to the uh, Mosswood Park meltdown that you do every year, and I was at the last Halloween bash. Oh, great! It's gonna be good this year. We have two of them. We're doing one at Halloween too. Yes. Um. Yeah, it's gonna be exciting. The punk rock 
I always love them. That's a community I like because they hate everybody in the world except themselves. John, I have been down front just staring at you five feet away every year at that show, and it's been amazing. Oh, good, good. Well, it's going to be a good one this year, too. We got Bikini Kill. We got Kim Gordon. That's going to be great. When you talked in Mr. Know-It-All about how there were 50-year-old punk rockers getting kicked in the head, I am one of those people. Well, I like it when they stage stop, but they're a little overweight now, some of the people. And people drop them, but they, they're even braver. I'm one of the people that's dropping them. I always, I turn around and there's always some big guy and he looks at me and he gives me the signal to try to get him up on the crowd. And I think, you're not going to make it. We're all going to drop you. I know. Well, they're, they're all, all ages there, which I love. It's really, it's, uh, the punk never dies. And it's, it's, it's always been my people, the punk rock world. I always felt at home in it. Oh, we love you. And we only showed up there because you were so great and we wanted to see you. But then I've discovered all these amazing bands from going to those shows. The Mummies is one of my favorites. Yeah, and the people themselves that are there are just amazing. The crowds are really great. John, every year I I, I was always down front and the same people would be down front at every single show. It was the same people. We were like a family, the down front people. Well, I saw two drag queens slam dancing last year. That really made me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so awesome. Well, uh, Speaking of punk rock and your show here coming up on May 20th at uh, Cargo Concert Hall, uh, we do also have an after party planned for you at another venue called the Elbow Room, mm-hmm. uh, in which uh, four local punk rock bands. Now, isn't there an Elbow Room also in San Francisco? There may be. Maybe I've heard that name before. Uh, but well, we we've got a new venue here in Re- well, it's not new; it's been around for a while. Oh, okay. Maybe I just have heard of it there. Yeah, maybe last time you came through. But uh, uh, four local bands are thrown on an official John Waters after party. So uh, anybody who shows up to the show and brings a ticket stub will get complimentary admission. Good. Um, But to rewind a little, I wanted to ask you about False Negative. Um, I I hear it's a bit of a retrospective of your life in filth. And I wanted to... Well, it is, but it's now how everything's changed. How, How fashion and movies and everything is completely different how the filthy world has completely changed. So humor has changed. What is funny now? What is, what is fashion? What is rebellion? What can you do? I mean, you're, you know, you're coming to see me. You could, you, you could die from coming. Maybe be your last night out. We don't know. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's kind of exciting, but it's a whole new world. So I've completely rewritten it because COVID has changed everything and, mm-hmm. and it's never going to go back no matter what we want. It's never going to go back. So I just feel so bad for young people that are whore, horny and quarantined. You know, how sad. <laughs> All they could do is watch Pink Flamingos and dream. Well, I don't know that anyone has ever masturbated to Pink Flamingos or they're in deep trouble. Oh, not a chance. I often tell people before I show them, I said, there's going to be some sex scenes in these movies, but it's nothing that anybody would ever jerk off to. Well, one time a girl called me, though, and this is in the old days when they had answer machines you could listen to next to your bed, and she was masturbating for a long time watching Pink Flamingos, and it oh, was God. really frightening to listen to. I mean, which scene? <laughs> I mean, there's so many terrible spots. And if she hears me, whoever that girl was, it was 30 years ago, if she's alive and well... You did freak me out. <laughs> I watched Crybaby recently, and and one of the grossest things I've ever seen in your movies is the French kissing scenes. Oh, but that, imagine doing that today. You'd need intimacy experts. And those, I remember that all those extras, they didn't even know each other. They had to French kiss for, for five hours. Can you imagine what screen actors still would think about that now? With strangers. I remember Tracy Lloyds afterwards said that little fucker had a heart on. Oh, geez. That was definitely not uh, uh, with social distancing. Yeah. 
No social distancing. And honestly, like, divine eating dog shit is something that I just treasure and I enjoy. But watching the girl drink the cup of tears grosses me out so bad I can't handle it. Well, let me tell you two things. One, I met a girl once that told me that she did it after seeing the movie, saved her tears, and her parents caught her and made her go to a shrink. (laughs) Infecting the world. I love that. And another girl told me once that she used to hate me. I said, why? She said... I was the little baby that Ricky Lake gave birth to in the car. My parents never asked me if I should have wanted to be in that movie. <laughs> oh, that's sad. She's not. She should be honored. But then she told me she forgave me, which I thought was good. She should forgive her parents, not me. All the other babies turned out good that were in your movies. Yeah, they all turned out. Even that one I locked in the refrigerator screaming on a second <laughs> take. I'm still friends with her. She doesn't remember it. I thought it was a boy. <laughs> well, I'm not Eat some dog food, bitch. We said, I'm sorry. We had to put a second take in the canvas. We just closed it. And it we didn't really, you know, we didn't have nurses on the sets in those days. And stuff. But it's so awesome how upset the child is when the door opens. It's just, it's one of those great moments. <laughs> well, the child said, I don't even remember it. So I said, it's good. It's not like you can only have sex in refrigerators now or anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like when I was in the Jackass movie with Johnny Knoxville. There was no sp- nurses or safety people on the set, so he picks you up in the morning. It was like it was like an Ed Wood movie. And uh, and reading in in Mister Know It All, the chapter when you talk about the old sex clubs, that was a little bit before my time. <laughs> I mean, I I was there right when AIDS was coming out, so I missed a lot of that. Yeah, that, that ended that with a real wild bang. I wonder were there sex clubs like that in Reno? I maybe not. We had we had a really we had a gay bar that had uh, private rooms and a pool, but we certainly... Yeah, but could you play slot machines and have a glory hole at the same time? Right, Uh, right, and a bathtub in the bathroom. Allegedly, uh, lock-ins still happen at one certain particular gay bar on Virginia Street that, yeah... Oh, that's right. We do have a pretty crazy club right now. And I've heard uh, guys... Do the gay bars have, like, but do the gay bars, do they have slot machines in them? Oh, yeah. All bars have slot machines on the bars built in. Do doctor's offices have them? When you go to the dentist, (laughs) are there slot machines in the waiting room? How about funeral parlors? (laughs) No, but every single convenience store you ever go into. And there's always uh, seven or eight meth heads uh, sitting there just chugging change into it. So then they don't have lottery tickets. Nope. We have to drive to Truckee to get lottery tickets. Yeah, that's what I thought, because lottery puts them out of business, right? Yeah, Yeah. no, you can't have to. And And as it is now, the casinos pay all of our taxes. We have no safe taxes, so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Know-It-All, the section about the imaginary horrible restaurant that you wanted to make, Yeah. I just wanted to let you know that the part about the oysters really grossed me out badly. Well, that's a real cookbook, the, the semen cookbook. There is such a cookbook. as that. You can look it up online. But the idea of sautéing oysters and semen, I mean, I'm a gay man, <laughs> and it's still, like, and I thought after I read that, I'm like, man, he's still got it. He can still make my stomach turn. Well, I, whenever I see an oyster bar and I see a straight guy slip one down, I say, that's what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I try to help people understand. Have you ever been to Burning Man, John? No, that's already hell to me. That's too spiritual for me. And the only drug I never wanted to take was ecstasy that made you love everybody. Oh, my God. And when I heard such a thing about a cuddle pile, I was really, my blood turned to ice water. Well, I can imagine what that smells like. Yeah. I haven't been to Burning Man. Do you? Is it near? I forget. Where is it? We're one of the nearest cities to it. It's out in the distant desert. And so do you go and like it? I've never been, but everybody else on the show has gone a bunch. Uh-huh. 
And some of them had just spent days naked, covered in mud. It's awful. That sounds like hell to me, being naked, covered in mud. I haven't been since the late 90s, and I, I hear tell it's changed. Uh, but it was, you know, like living an acid trip in the dirt. Now, it just told me I have to press any key to continue this call, so I'm going to do it. We'll see if we get cut off. Sometimes you do when that happens. Well, we'll understand. All right. Hey, John, I spent a lot of time going to Rocky Horror Picture Show and stuff like that. What do you feel about, like, the other cult, like, gender-bending type movies like Rocky and Hedwig? Well, I love Hedwig, and he's a friend of mine. Don's a good friend of mine. And I think they're all great. They came way before the trans movement, and now it seems like half of America's trans. I never knew that many people were trapped. But they all are, and they're all rich. But I think it's great. I think people should be ever what they want to be. And I, I don't know why it's so such a big deal to other people. Yeah. I think you should be able to go back and forth. Even though, you know, if you become a woman, the cliche is a woman change, can always change her mind. Well, maybe she'll change her mind and go back and go back four or five times in your life. Go back and forth. Then you're experiencing everything at all ages. That's what I'm for. Right. Get it all. Get it all. Yeah. God, you've really inspired all of us. Knowing the story of you and your friends and everything in those movies in the beginning, it's always made me feel like if I just have a bucket full of passion and a ragtag group of friends that believe in me, I could make anything. Well, it's true. You can. And nowadays you have a cell phone. It's much easier to make a movie. And for once, the studio is looking for the next crazy kid that makes a movie. They weren't what I did, but they, they are now. And I used to have to carry around that heavy, giant 16-millimeter camera that weighed a ton with a brace you had to wear on your shoulder. Now you just whip out a little phone. You don't even need lights or anything. It's so much easier. And it looks even better, but it doesn't have that mystique. God, there's so many things in Multiple Maniacs when I finally got the Criterion version of that because I hadn't been able to find it before then, um, except like pirated online. The Stations of the Cross and those those biblical scenes that you guys reenacted there, the scenes with Edith Massey is, as, um, as Jesus' mother, I just like, yeah. it warms my heart every time I see it. You know, I went back to that road where we filmed up. It was kind of a little in a redneck neighborhood, like a little abandoned street. It's it's where Earl Peterson lives in Female Trouble. It's the same street where we filmed The Stations of the Cross, and it's still like that. Nothing got modernized or anything. But yes, I remember that was just one Sunday morning, and if people happened to drive by, that's what they saw, the full Stations of the Cross. But um, God, They would have thought you were a religious cult. I don't know what they thought. They just <laughs> left us alone. They ran the other direction, I think. We didn't get hassled that day at all by anybody. You know, whenever I read up about David Lockery, his passing, it never really explains it. It always just says that there's something to do with a glass table and, and him being on drugs. Well, it was angel dust. At the end, David was really addicted to angel dust, and we were estranged because of it. It was very sad. Uh, drugs killed David Lockery. It's a sad thing, but they did. And at the end, it drove him crazy. Angel dust. I've seen people on that. It doesn't look like high to me. It looks like hell to me, the people I've seen when they've been on it. But um, I think it did destroy David, you yeah. It's a sad thing. God, that's so awful. And I feel bad that I discovered all the movies right after Divine passed, so I, I never actually shared the planet with her. Well, it's better than not discovering, but you're right. Um, I think Divine today is probably even more famous he was than when he was alive. And uh, I think his influence on drag queens everywhere is felt, and it made all drag queens hipper and funnier and angrier and less afraid. Yeah, you can do anything. And God, and watching the uh, Divine um, documentary. Yeah, that was a good one, right? And they have the, uh, that's that's going to be on the Pink Flamingos uh, Criterion release, is that documentary that Steve oh. Yeager made. 
Oh, that's awesome. Trash. That's a different one. That's about us making things from Mingos. The one you're talking about is I Am Divine. I Am Divine. Right, and I've yep. seen I've got Divine Trash also. But in that I Am Divine, Pat Moran has the best line about it in the whole movie, and it's only in the deleted scenes. Yeah. And she says, it's a great story. It was just supposed to have a different ending. Well, good. Yeah, Pat's great. She's, she's my best friend ever, so she's alive and well. My ex and, and dear friend, uh, Carlos, shares a birthday with her, and, and every everybody I know is so thrilled you're coming to Reno. We can't wait to see you. Reno loves you. Good, bro. I'm looking forward to it. I, I hate that when you went to ask your different friends which one would take LSD with you, that she immediately shot it down. Oh, she did. She did. Oh, no. <laughs> but I used to take LSD with her 50 years ago, definitely. But I think she just, yeah, she, I did take her for Paris for her birthday this year. Oh, that must have been great. No, London. We went to London for a birthday. I took somebody else to Paris. We've been we've been going to Europe in the middle of a pandemic, yes, and we didn't get it. Hey, back to the that last Halloween bash at Mosswood Park. At the end of it, the mummy set just ended abruptly and the lead singer like ripped all the chords out of the the amplifiers. Were you backstage? I couldn't tell if that was staged or not. You know, I can't remember anything going wrong or anything. You know, it's hard to tell with the mummies because they're so hilarious and there's so much anarchy in their act. You never know what's real and what's not. But what, you just felt it ended weirdly? Yeah, well, I was down front, as I always am, and I'm mainly focused on not being kicked in the head. Yeah. So I'm not paying a ton of attention to what's going on on stage and just jumping up and down. And then all of a sudden the music stopped and I looked up and the lead singer ran across the stage and began ripping the bass player and the guitar players' cables out of their amplifiers as if to say, we are stopping the show now, there's nothing you can do about it, and then he stormed off stage. And that was how it ended. You know, I don't remember that. I was backstage, but I don't remember afterwards any drama. So, you know what I mean? God. (laughs) So, I don't know. Maybe they just, that was, I don't don't know. You got me on that one. I hope it was staged because I want them to be happy. Oh, it was staged. I think, you know, they're great. They're there every year. But I just saw a friend that saw them recently. I didn't realize they play all over America, but they do. Yeah, I've only ever seen them in Oakland, so yeah, loved it so much. I did a show with them when we were there when Tracy Lords and I were on the top of the car while they were singing. It was amazing. Oh, when they played on top of the car, that was unbelievable. Yeah. I wear a T-shirt that has that car, and I've often told people I've seen them play on top of that car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the marching band led them out. <laughs> yes, yeah, I remember that was a good year. That's what Tracy Lawrence was there this year, that year. God, so amazing. So amazing. So for the listeners out there, once again, uh, the show is going to be at Cargo Concert Hall on May 20th here in Reno, Nevada. I think a uh, 7 o'clock door time. I'm not sure the start time of the show. Probably 8. Probably 8. And then done by about 9.30, which gives you time to hustle over to the elbow room for the after party at 10 o'clock. Featuring One Ton Dooley, The Juveniles, Eddie and the Subtitles, and The Living Daylight. Well, that sounds like a good lineup. And just think, I don't have to hitchhike in, I'll have a ride, so it'll be really glamorous. <laughs> it's just down the street, even. All right, well, I'll see you, see you there. You are the best, and thank you so much for giving us so much time. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. On the worst little podcast, we're talking out of our ass. You better calm yourself down before I haul off and smack you upside your wide, wide head. Backwater Studios. You obviously belong in a mental hospital. I know.